0: Hi David, there's a pickup in coronavirus cases across Europe. What's the economic and market implications? Hi Alex, um, yeah I mean Europe is in a second wave of the virus and, and it's getting worse daily. Um, over the last week or so there's been more than 600,000 new confirmed cases um, compared to about 340,000 uh, the prior week. Uh, The the number of new cases in the U.S. is also on the rise, albeit at a slower rate, but typically the U.S. has has tended to lag uh, Europe by by a couple of weeks. So we're very much into a second wave. But I think it's interesting that governments are choosing to impose tighter social distancing restrictions and and bear the associated economic costs rather than follow the so-called herd immunity strategy, Uh, despite currently low fatality rates. So we're seeing meaningful tightening of restrictions across Europe, including the UK, even in Italy and Germany, that have been doing better in terms of containing the second wave. We're seeing tighter uh, restrictions being imposed. It's it's, it's not another sort of full lockdown that we had in March, April, uh, May, but it is clearly going to hit very hard. The hospitality, personal services sectors you know, that's something like 10% of GDP, it varies by country. They're very job intensive sectors, uh, especially for lower income and, and young people. So it's, it's clearly going to have an adverse impact in terms of uh, the economy and uh, recovery. And we've been seeing that already in high frequency data, um, decline in mobility. Um, you know, we've also seen September services PMIs in, in Europe. Uh, lose some of their momentum and I think that's going to continue um, over the next couple of uh, uh, months or so um, and, and forecasts for growth in the fourth quarter are being revised down. Um, the ECB ECB's uh, forecast for the fourth quarter is actually for three percent growth and I think that's looking wildly uh, optimistic and, and so I do think the ECB is going to respond by expanding and extending its asset purchase program at its December meeting um, I, I wouldn't wholly discount a negative rate cut, but, you know, that's not the base case. Um, but I do think this expectation of more asset purchases by the ECB, you know, explains why, um, you know, spreads on euro, uh, sovereign periphery, corporate bonds have, you know, been tightening in, in recent weeks. Uh, I think more important for, for, for the recovery is fiscal support. Uh, We've seen France extend uh, some of its uh, support measures Uh, The the UK is providing some uh, additional support as well. I think other European countries are going to follow suit Uh, So that will help offset some of the impact of the um, second wave Uh, we've, We've seen US assets, you know recently start to outperform Uh, European assets, you know, the rally in the euro has come to an end at least for for now. And I think that is to a large extent because of the rising risks uh, around the second wave in in Europe. And and also I think, you know, there's a lower probability now being attached by investors to a contested uh, US uh, election. So, you know, there's a lot of cross currents and uncertainties impacting markets. Um, I I don't think we're going to get a you know, a big sell-off in risk assets, given central bank backstops, but I think markets are going to remain very choppy until there's greater clarity on, on politics, policy, and the virus.
1: This week is another Brexit deadline. What's the current state of play in EU UK negotiations and the outlook for the UK?
0: Yes, Alex. Well, as as we know, Brexit deadlines tend to come and go. Um, as, as you say, the EU summit this week was supposed to be you know, the sort of sign off on a post Brexit trade deal between the EU and UK, um, that deadline's going to be missed. Uh, but negotiations are continuing um, and, and they're happening at a higher political level, which is really what's required in order for a deal to be made. And you know, it's, it's hard to think that the UK and EU can't find you know common ground on you know fishing and and and, and state aid so I, I do think a deal is more likely than not um if 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 a deal isn't secured i i think it's going to have you know quite a big impact on uh, uk assets because you can have to re-rate to much weaker uh, growth next year for for the uk i think it could easily shave 1 to 2 percentage points off uh, uk gdp the impact on the eu would also be uh, negative but you know much smaller maybe you know quarter at most half a point off um, growth you know we set out in a recent note that from current levels the pound could fall to parity against the euro in the case of no deal and i think rally to you know 85 cents in in in, in the case of a deal um, but I think even with an EU trade deal, the UK economy is likely to remain a, a laggard. Um, any any deal is going to be very bare bones. Uh, there will be cost for the UK economy, is it just to leave in the EU single market? And, and you know, the, the recovery from the coronavirus uh, recession is already fading, not least because of the pickup in Um, infections that we've seen in uh, recent weeks just a quick aside uh, the Bank of England got back into the headlines it sent a letter to UK banks seeking feedback on the implications of uh, going to negative interest rates Um, I'm I'm pretty confident that we know how UK commercial banks are going to respond and I don't think it's going to be positive Um, I still don't think the Bank of England will go down the negative rate path unless it's forced to do so and and so I don't think it's going to go down that path. Um, unless there is no um, trade deal with the EU and there's the double whammy of both the coronavirus and and, and a no-deal Brexit.
1: Thanks, David. Turning from the UK to the world's second biggest economy, what's the outlook for China?
0: Yeah, so um, amongst some of the kind of gloom, uh, the good news is that China is experiencing a V-shaped recovery. Uh, China's GDP is already back above its pre-COVID levels. Um, And, you know, that's been confirmed as well. When you look at import and export data, not just for China, but also for um, its trading partners. Um, So, uh, you know, the recovery is underway in in, in China. and, And there's actually evidence that you know, it's starting to rotate from being a supply led recovery to pick up in private demand. We've seen the uh, first year on year increase in, in retail sales since the pandemic struck. And and I think that's showing up in terms of as well, you know, China, China related equities have outperformed. The currency has been appreciating. Um, government bond yields have actually moved higher. The 10 year yield on, on Chinese government bond is 3.1 percent. So pretty attractive to yield-starved international um, investors. Um, Interestingly, the the China Central Bank, the People's Bank of China's, uh, just scrapped the requirement for Chinese banks to hold reserves against customers foreign exchange forward positions. What this does is effectively make it easier to go short the currency. Um, It's not always clear why, you know, policy changes are made uh, when it comes out of China in terms of transparency. But, you know, I think it does signal that there's some discomfort with the pace of appreciation of the currency. It's, it's about 5% stronger since June on a trade-weighted basis. And, and I think it might also be an attempt to preempt any further currency strength that would follow a defeat for President Trump in the forthcoming uh, US presidential election. You've mentioned the US elections and last week you published a note on the market implications. What are the key takeaways? Yeah, so in in that note, we set out what we think are going to be the market implications based on, you know, the differing policy agendas of uh, different electoral outcomes, both for the presidency, but also for uh, the Congress and and in particular, uh, who controls the Senate. So I think if you get a a so-called blue clean sweep, so, you know, Joe Biden wins the Uh, White House, uh, but the Democrats also gain control of the Senate from the Republicans while holding the House of Representatives, um, then I think that's an outcome where you're going to get the biggest uh, fiscal stimulus. Um, And I also think a Biden presidency would also mark a sort of shift away from the sort of, uh, you know, aggressive America first trade uh, policies as well. So more fiscal stimulus, Less sort of trade war risk, I think, implies a weaker US dollar, uh, particularly against emerging market currencies. Um, I I think, you know, a stronger, at least for the near term, US and and global uh, economic recovery. Um, I I think that would be associated with some bear steepening of the Treasury yield curve, so longer dated yields. Uh, would move um, higher, and, and you could get a kind of reflationary rotation into sort of cyclical sectors as well as uh, emerging market um, uh, assets. Um, but you know, I think it's quite possible that you know Biden wins the presidency, but not the Senate. It's going to be a very tight race between the Democrats and, and, and Republican Party for uh, the Senate. And, and if the Republicans do hold on to the Senate, um, then I think it's going to be very, very hard to get a big fiscal. Uh, stimulus package uh, through a divided uh, Congress, and then of course it's the status quo outcome. So President Trump wins. You can't completely discount his chances despite the polls. Um, I think that's going to be dollar positive. I don't think there's much of an impact on 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 treasury yields. Uh, U.S. stocks might might get a boost from you know less risk of higher taxes and and, and regulation, um, but you know I think a sort of um, you know. A, an America first, you know, Trump two term uh, is going to favour US over rest of the world um, assets. Uh, The outcome the markets have been fearing the most has been the risk of a delayed and contested election. Um, That fear seems to be dissipating as as Biden's poll lead has gone up. If you look at VIX futures, they've fallen as uh, markets have sort of reduced the probability they're attaching to a contested outcome. But I I still don't think it can be wholly discounted. Uh, Poll leads typically get eroded as election day approaches. Um, There still can be some surprises uh, between now and uh, the election in, uh, you know, three weeks time. And President Trump getting and quickly recovering from COVID may not be Uh, the only October surprise and even if we get a sort of clear outcome in terms of the presidential election there could be you know a delay of several days or or even more in terms of um, you know knowing who has or which party has gained control of the uh, senate so I think there's still a lot of political and policy uncertainty that markets are going to have to deal with associated with the uh, US elections.
1: Thanks, David. Just to finish, what are your expectations for third quarter corporate earnings?
0: Yeah, so they're they're just kicking off. Um, I mean, the consensus earning forecast is that we will get uh, an improvement at headline level. Um, A lot of that's going to be driven, though, by lower bank loan provisions. We've we've seen recent announcements from some of the US banks where they've reduced their uh, loan provisioning. you know, growth stocks especially us big tech they're actually expected to post year on year growth but you know, for cyclical companies uh, for you know for one of the better term old economy uh, sectors you know earnings are still going to be 30 plus percent below the level a year ago and and i think really the earnings season is just going to confirm what we already know so there's clear winners and losers from the current health and economic crisis. So while I do think there will be some volatility around individual companies, asset prices, you know, resulting from earnings surprises, negative and positive, I think for the market as a whole, I I just don't think it's going to meaningfully move the dial one way or the other. You know, as as we've been discussing, Alex, I I really do think it's the evolution of the virus, including um, developments in terms of the vaccine. I mean, the phase three trials, should be coming to an end, you know, at the end of this month, early November. um, And, you know, politics and policies that I think are going to dominate what will be pretty choppy markets for the foreseeable future.
1: Thanks, David. Thank you. This podcast is issued in the United Kingdom by Blue Bay Asset Management LLP, which is authorised and regulated by the UK Financial Conduct Authority registered with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission and the U.S. Commodity Futures Trading Commission and is a member of the National Futures Association. This podcast may also be issued in the United States by Blue Bay Asset Management LLC, which is registered with the SEC and the NFA. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Unless otherwise stated, all data has been sourced by BlueBay. To the best of BlueBay's knowledge and belief, this podcast is true and accurate at the date hereof. BlueBay makes no express or implied warranties or representations with respect to the information contained in this podcast and hereby expressly disclaim all warranties of accuracy, completeness or fitness for a particular purpose. This podcast is intended for professional clients and eligible counterparties as defined by the FC only and should not be relied upon by any other category of customer, except where agreed explicitly in writing, Blue Bay does not provide investment or other advice, and nothing in this podcast constitutes any advice, nor should be interpreted as such. No Blue Bay fund will be offered except pursuant and subject to the offering memorandum and subscription materials, the offering materials. If there is an inconsistency between this podcast and the offering materials for the Blue Bay fund, the provisions in the offering materials shall prevail. You should read the offering materials carefully before investing in any Blue Bay fund. This podcast does not constitute an offer to sell or the solicitation of an offer to purchase any security or investment product in any jurisdiction and is for information purposes only. No part of this podcast may be reproduced in any manner without the prior written permission of Blue Bay Asset Management LLP. Copyright 2020 Blue Bay. The investment manager, advisor and global distributor of the Blue Bay Funds is a wholly owned subsidiary of Royal Bank of Canada and the Blue Bay Funds may be considered to be related and or connected issuers to Royal Bank of Canada and its other affiliates. Registered trademark of Royal Bank of Canada. RBC Global Asset Management is a trademark of Royal Bank of Canada. Blue Bay Asset Management, LLP, registered office, 77 Grosvenor Street, London, W1K3JR, partnership registered in England and Wales, number OC370085. The term partner refers to a member of the LLP or a Blue Bay employee with equivalent standing. Details of membership of the Blue Bay group and further important terms which this message is subject to can be obtained at www.bluebay.com. All rights reserved.